0: Join me in prayer. Let us pray together. Oh God, it is so good. It is so good to be in your presence. To be able to call you our God. And to know the reality that in the midst of a shifting life and a shifting and crazy world, with so many things around us that that cause us to to focus on them and and give us great fear. It is is so good to be be able to come into your presence, into your house, and remember that you, O God, O triune God, are our solid rock. And that sinners like us, that you have redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, that we can gather in your presence as your beloved And on Christ, no matter what around us is shaking, we can stand. Father, You are truly a holy, holy, holy God. And we are not. And yet, God, we thank You for the joy of of coming into Your presence because of the work of Your Son and the power of Your Spirit. Now, God, come come and speak to us. Oh, how we need to hear from Father. Oh, how we need to hear that you love us and that you're with us. Oh, how we need to have your voice in our ears and our minds and your your arms around us so we won't be afraid, so we won't lose focus in our grip and our way. God, would you come and would you quiet our souls so we could hear from you. God, I have nothing but Jesus. He's everything we need. So show us Jesus today. We pray in Christ's powerful name. Amen. It is so great to be with you. Uh, I've missed you for the last three weeks. Katie and I have decided there's no greater place to be on a Sunday than at Orangewood. Is that not true? This place is amazing. I I love our worship and uh, it's just awesome to be back. A couple of weeks ago, I preached in a barn. that's kind of cool. But even though barn acoustics, it just doesn't rival uh, worshiping here with the Orangewood family. Uh, many thanks to the elders, to the deacons, to the staff for holding down the fort so well. Many thanks to you for being an amazing body of Christ. Uh, many thanks to a David Outing, a Bishop David Outing, not a bad preacher. A few more times, he's going to get it. Uh, he's awesome. I know many of you uh, loved hearing from him. And Steve Brown, not bad, uh, that amazing voice of God. And uh, again, it's such a joy to be able to have my pulpit uh, filled with these men of God. And I know you were well fed and... Uh, um, really excited that they were here for you but clear them on out it's my turn and I can't wait all right and so I am so excited so remember it's Steve who and David what's that guy's name again all right I'm back and I'm so glad to be back with you hey we're back in Nehemiah uh we've been through Nehemiah for quite some time so hopefully you got your Bibles there and again we probably need to kind of remind ourselves where have we been uh what is happening what is happening Uh, if you're new to us, or maybe you're a guest here this morning, uh, you kind of find us today kind of middle of a story. But for all of us, maybe it's like picking up a novel we haven't read for a while. I don't know about you. I have that tendency. I usually read two or three books at a time. Oftentimes I got to pick one up say, oh yeah, what was happening again? And kind of go back and, and do a little reading to be mindful of what was happening. But let me tell you a little bit about Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah had a pretty cool job. He was a cupbearer. Um, probably no one here is a cupbearer, but uh, he was a cupbearer for the most powerful man of his day, uh, king of Persia, uh, Ar- Artaxerxes. Uh, that's an easy name to pronounce. But he was kind of like a, an inside man. As a cupbearer, uh, he, he was like a cabinetman. And he had access to the most powerful man in the world. And he lived in a time where his people, the Jewish people, God's people, uh, they were in exile. And things weren't going real well. Um, God had raised up Ezra and others to to go back to Jerusalem and build a temple. And now it was Nehemiah's turn to uh, to go back to Jerusalem and build a wall. It's really cool because Nehemiah said, God was with me. You know what he really said? He said, God had his hand on me. Have you ever had that? I just love those moments of closeness with Jesus. Where I just could feel his, his presence. And, and, and God's hand was on Nehemiah and goes, you know, I want you to go back. I want you to go back and I want you to build a wall. That doesn't sound like that's a great task. Can I go back and build a wall? But a wall around Jerusalem was a big deal, especially in the ancient Near East. You've got to have a wall. If you don't have a wall, you're nobody. Um, the closest town to where we stayed on vacation, about 20 minutes away, doesn't even have a stoplight. Can you call it a town? I mean, really, I mean, you kind of talk about that town in Moravia. It doesn't even have a stoplight. You kind of like, you say it with reproach. And that's what you say about Jerusalem. It doesn't even have a wall. And those people have been so torn apart. They don't even have that. There's a ton of reproach with that. So he went back and rallied God's people to build a wall, but also for protection. If you didn't have a wall, you know, you don't have protection um, just think about Norway this last week. I mean, how tragic was that story? And those kids on that island and not having protection um, and, 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 and being subject to what they were subject to. Well, this was happening to God's people. So God raised up Nehemiah. He goes back and he rallies the troops. But it wasn't hard because, you know, they've been losing a lot. Do you ever notice that when you lose a lot, you start to feel like you're a loser? I mean, losing sometimes begets more losing. And if you're losing right now in life and you're on a really bad streak, like the Mariners, 0 14, or whatever, sometimes you just feel like that's what we do. We lose. That's what God's people were feeling like. This is what we do. We don't succeed, we fail. So, in the midst of that, Nehemiah had to lead him. And I tell you what, overcoming that was very difficult. But he had to lead him. And by God's grace, and listen, it wasn't about Nehemiah, it's always about God. He's always a hero in every story. Always reports to uh, points to Jesus. But amazingly, in 52 days, these guys who felt like they were losers, these men and women, they raised up and men. They did amazing work. And we come to the end of the story. And we're really close because all the walls are built. All they got to do is put those gates in and the doors on. You know that last little bit? You know when you got a job and it's just sometimes that last little bit just to finish? And it's, it's Nehemiah's enemies that have always been there. Uh, Roy Reddum, and weird names Sambalot, uh, Tobia, uh, Geshem. Uh, they've always been there. They're, always, they're irritants. They're just driving them crazy. And what they try to do, they try to scare the people so much they stop working. And now they said, oh my goodness, it's about ready to finish. We've got to take out the leader. We've got to go get him. And we've got to threaten him. We're going to see how they, he is threatened. It starts off real easy. Why don't you come meet with me? Then he sends a letter of innuendo. Here, I know what you're doing. An open letter. Yeah, whatever. So everybody will know. And then he hires a false prophet and says, they're going to kill you. tonight." Why? Because enemies of God hate God's work. Do you know that? Do you know there's an enemy out there that hates you living for Jesus? Do you know that? Do you know there's an enemy out there that hates this church succeeding? Do you know that? Do you know we're in the war? Do you know even right now? I mean, this is a long time ago. This happened, but do you know that there's a battle rage? You know that, don't you, right? I mean, you see it in your own life. You know it in your own church. And there was certainly a battle winning. But let's, let's be mindful of one thing. Our God wins. Amen? Our God wins. He always wins. Uh, we know that reality. He, he lets us go through junk. I don't understand. He really does. And in his hand of providence, there's some things that happen. I'm like, whoa, God, how'd you allow this in? What are you doing? But the bottom line, don't forget, our God wins. We're going to focus there. Always wins. Our, our, our God has conquered death. Our God has conquered sin. Our God is for us. Who could be against us? I mean, there's such good news here. And, and we're going to deal with something about that reality because what is happening is fear. Do you know how powerful fear is? Do you know how powerful fear is in your life? Have you been ever absolutely debilitated by fear? I mean, has there been a report from the doctor that absolutely paralyzed you? Has there been words about your kids that just, you, you just couldn't move? Have, have you seen or heard something before that you're just, I mean, stop in your tracks? Man, is fear powerful. And I tell you what, the enemy knows it. He wants to use fear in your life and my life. He wants to use fear in this church to keep us from what he wants us to do. Do you know that? I mean, fear is one of his best weapons in his bag, and he loves beating us with it. And he wants us to stop and cower and and not be noble and bold. So that's that's where we find the story. We're going to see Nehemiah. How how did Nehemiah overcome fear? How how did he do it? Because his life was literally being threatened, and he was able to rise up and and, and conquer it. Over vacation, read a great biography. I mean, maybe uh, I love these kind of things uh, because it's about a pastor. It's by a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German uh, pastor. Uh, He lived in Germany right before and during World War II. Um, He was trained by some really liberal theologians uh, in Germany, and yet by God's grace, he really had a love for God's word, had a real love for Jesus, had a real love for Christ's church. And Bonhoeffer, when everybody else was in fear of the Nazis and in fear of the Gestapo and in fear of stepping out and standing up for what was really right, Bonhoeffer, believe it or not, did. And as he was able to stand up and, 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 and keep his focus in the midst of a Gestapo literally threatening his life, saying, wow, what, what an amazing man. Not, not only that, uh, he never lost his grip on his calling. As the Church of Germany in that time uh, was really catering to Hitler and the Nazis uh, and going in the wrong direction, there were men that God raised up, men and women, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, no, we can't lose our grip on truth. We can't lose our grip on what Jesus has really done. And he never lost his way. He lost his life. He's a martyr. The, 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 The Gestapos killed him. Ironically or sadly, he was killed the same month Hitler took his own life. It was at the very end of the war. But we see this man as amazing as uh, Erich Mctaxis wrote. He's a prophet. He's a preacher. He's a spy. He's a martyr. And it's an amazing story of one who says, I got to focus on Jesus and what he's called me to do. In the midst of a a madman like Hitler. Not only that, I got to keep a grip on what what God's calling me to. In the midst of a world that's gone mad. As a matter of fact, I can't lose my way. In the midst of a world that was just so lost its moorings. That's what me and Nehemiah is doing. He also is is fighting a madman. He also is is fighting against uh, some difficult times. And those are the three things we're going to learn today. Look in your bulletin. We'll find an insert. It's it's basically saying these three things. We can't uh, lose our focus. We can't lose our grip. Or we can't lose our way. That's where it gives us a little uh, background and, and leads us into what we have for today. You know, usually in all of our lives, it's the same old enemies It's the same old usual suspects that give us the most harm. Isn't that true? I mean, in in this story, we have three names that continually emerge, and and they're the arch enemies. Uh, They're the ones that are always there as fly in the ointments. They're the ones always stirring the pot for negative. It's Sanbalat, uh, Tobiah, or uh, Tobiaia. He really should have known better as he's got a name that means lover of God. Um, And not, not only that, Geshem. Who in your life, or what in your life? What in your life continually tempts you to fear? What in your life continually do you have to wrestle with? What is there? Because I bet you're like me. I bet it's something that's very consistent. Because <laughs> it's amazing. Because the enemy knows our weaknesses and usually sends the same kind of assaults or, you know, maybe mask a little bit. And maybe their names are a little bit different. Let me give you a couple thoughts. Maybe your sandballot. An archenemy is peer pressure. Or maybe it's people pleasing. Something I know a lot about. Maybe the Tobyiah's name is maybe it's materialism or alcoholism. Maybe your Geshem is gambling or pornography. Maybe it's a certain individual. I don't know. But let me start by asking you this question What or who chronically plagues you? What or who? chronically drives you to fear. And this will show us what we got to do. First thing is, don't lose focus. Nehemiah is almost done. He's building his wall. And here's, here's what Sambalot does and, and Geshem. They, they, they do something that seems very innocuous. They do something that's really, really tricky. They're basically saying, dang, we can't beat this guy. Let's have him join us. And they, they come up with a good plan. They said, hey, why don't you leave your work and come and let's, let's meet together. Let's, let's counsel together. Let's, let's pick a neutral site. Uh, and let's go there, and we'll hang out together, and maybe we can solve our differences. But by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, Nehemiah saw through this that really what they're trying to do, and this is what the enemy always tries to do for his uh, against God's children. You know for this? Always tries to lure them away. Do you know you have an enemy that always love to l- lure you away from protection, lure you away from the church, lure you away from Christian fellowship, lure you away from safety of accountability, and then attack you. <laughs> And that was exactly what was happening with Nehemiah. What seems to be a pretty good challenge, come and meet with me. He said, forget it. I got focus. I got focus on what God is doing in and through me. Focus is an amazing thing. Anybody here have ADD? For someone who might struggle a little bit with ADD, okay, a lot with ADD, uh, focus is not as easy sometimes. I mean, I'm focusing on everything. It's crazy. I mean, I could drive people nuts from going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. But uh, amazingly, uh, God had given Nehemiah laser focus. So much so that he could hear those things around him and say, no, nope, can't do it. I mean, focus is so important from the very beginning. Haven't you always heard, keep your eye on the ball, keep your eye on the ball, keep your eye on the ball? You can't do anything without focus. It's paramount. You remember Nancy Reagan? What was her big theme during her husband's presidency? Anybody know? You guys remember what, what was it? Just say, Just say no. I mean, Nancy Reagan uh, wanted to fight, they started off wanted to fight drugs, uh, the war on drugs. Uh, it, it actually, that campaign, Just Say No, extended uh, to not just drugs, but also extended to premarital sex and violence. And Nancy Reagan uh, came out, and bless her heart, uh, really said that here's the answer uh, to our young, for our young people and for the world when it comes to drugs, right for this, Just Say No. I mean, Unbelievably, the statistics say that it actually works some, that actually during his, his uh, presidency there was a reduction in drug use. But I'm here to tell you that you can't say no until you've learned the power and the authority of saying yes. I mean, just saying no is kind of crazy. I mean, just saying no to something uh, won't work until you said yes to something that is actually better. I remember my student ministry days. I had the privilege of working with students for 10 years. And one of the biggest concerns in student ministry always has been, and probably always will be, uh, now that I have teenage kids, I even know even more so, is, is listen, just say no to temptation. Let's talk about premarital sex. Just, just say no. You know, it's, it's, it's really kind of hard to tell students, hey, listen, this, this is something that's a gift from God, and, and it feels good, and it's really good, and it's an expression of love, but just, just say no. And I'm telling you, convinced that you can't just say no until you say yes to something bigger. Yes, that, that, listen, young people, that God's best for you is purity inside a marriage covenant. That saying yes and believing that God's will for you, who made you, who gave you the gift of sex, uh, wants you to experience that in in the bounds of marriage. And you can't say no until you have a dream or have a focus or, or have a passion of something better. Until you say yes. Yes to God's way. Yes to God's word. Yes to following after him. If we tell our young people, or we tell ourselves, just say no, it's not going to last. We're not that strong, we're not that good. The only way we're going to be like Nehemiah or others in the Bible who were able to say no, is they had the power to say yes. God, I'm your man, I'm for you, I'm focused. He says, I can't do this. I I love his answer. He was asked four times. Come and meet with me. Come and meet with me. No, 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 no. Why? Because he said yes, 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 yes to God. But he says this. He says, I'm doing great work and I cannot come. Listen, until you know what you're supposed to do, you don't know what you're not supposed to do. Do you hear that? This is so practical. Until you know what you're supposed to do, you won't know what you're not supposed to do. But by God's grace, when he reveals to you that passion in your heart, that calling in your heart, first and foremost to him, but also vocationally, it gives you power. It gives you authority. All of a sudden you can say, no, that's not my calling. That's not for me. Do you know that power of saying yes to him? Do you know the power of saying no and what God has called you to do so you can say no what you're not supposed to do? But you can say, well, wait a second. Nehemiah, he was doing a great work. Easy for him to say no. He was doing a great work, right? What was that great work again? He's building a lousy wall. Yeah, I know, it's important work. But you know one of the lies that the enemy wants to tell you? Your work's not that important. What is great work? Is raising kids great work? Is hanging drywall great work? Is is being a teacher great work? I mean, what defines great work? Wouldn't that be awesome to get that down? Know that? You know, hey, I want to do great work. I I mix cement. Could that be great work? Um, you know, what could be great work? It's not the work that defines it. Listen, it's not the work. It's for the whom. For whom you are doing it. That defines the greatness. Nehemiah was doing great work. Yes, he was building a wall because he was serving a great God. Great works, parents. Great works. Mom, who are raising your children, is raising them for Jesus. Great work is what you do for him. This is Ecclesiastes uh, 9, uh, verse 10 says this. Whatever your hand finds to do it, do it with all your strength, whatever it is. Isn't that great? God says, whatever I have called you to, whatever work that you have found, as long as it's legal, um, listen, do it. Colossians 3.23 makes this definition. Whatever you do, whatever you do. Lousy CPA. An awesome attorney. That's not fair. Less no lousy CPAs. They're all great CPAs. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do it for the Lord, not for man. How do we keep our focus? We say yes to God's calling in our life and do all things for him. How do we keep our focus? How do we say no? What is going to knock us off of following hard after Jesus? He knows it. Listen, the enemy would love to tell you over and over and over again, what you do doesn't matter. You're insignificant. It's not that important. If you're doing it in his name, if you're doing it out of love for him, if you're doing it in a way that loves those around you, it is worldly, so important. It is such important work. It is great work. We must focus on what God has called us to do to keep us from doing other things. A couple other key things before we leave this point is this. We must make sure we do the most important thing more than the less important thing. This is going to be hard. This is going to be Holy Spirit, help guide me. But this was probably a good thing for Nehemiah to go meet in his enemies and restore some bridges. But he didn't sacrifice the lesser for the greater. And I'm telling you, that's a continual struggle we are going to have to have. Uh, Are we doing the most important things? And it's so true with our children. Let's talk about that for a minute, okay? I mean, our children, do we not have eight zillion things for our kids to be involved in? How many activities are we going to have for our children? How many opportunities are they going to have? And if you're like me, I want them to miss nothing. I want them to experience everything. But eventually you're taking the greatest and sacrificing it for the good. Does it make sense? as parents you're going to be have a God given call helping your children make decisions making sure that you're focused on what's most important following Jesus most important honoring him with all things and sacrificing some less important things I tell you right now I think the enemy's got us here because I think he's got us with an amazing amount of activities an amazing amount of stuff and a lot of good stuff is being sacrificed for lesser good stuff make sense? There's some tough calls there. Tough calls. I mean, I was on vacation. I get a call from someone beloved in this congregation. What do I do? My 12-year-old, he's on All-Stars. And he, he, should he do All-Stars or go to camp? My 12-year-old, either they're playing. I mean, what do we do? I tell you, those aren't always easy. And we had to wrestle through those things. But let me tell you, parents, are we sacrificing the greater for a lesser? That's a sin. Uh, really, it's committing idolatry. Not only that, uh, true of our children, an enemy would love to lure you away to lose your focus. Just know, if you're, if you're not in a Christian relationship, if you're not in a small group, the enemy would love to lure you away, and then you are more susceptible. Nehemiah wouldn't go. He wouldn't leave that safety. Is the enemy pulling you away? Pulling you away from fellowship? Pulling you away from accountability? You and I need that. Lastly about this thing is this. Uh, careful focusing on yourself. I, I, I'm realizing, especially over vacation, uh, that we live in a day and time which so much of our Christianity focuses on ourself. And, and even we can look at it in spiritual ways. Like, how am I doing? And, and, and how am I feeling? And how am I processing this? And you know that oftentimes that I'm just sick of focusing on me. Are you sick of focusing on just all that? I think the way the enemy can really get under our skin and have us lose focus is we take our eyes off of him and all he's already done for us and his glory and take our eyes onto ourselves. It's amazing. Be careful. Listen, if our focus is God and our focus is one another, we're going to be great. God is going to make us more like Jesus and we'll be great. You see, amazingly what Bonhoeffer did, Bonhoeffer lost focus for a minute. Bonhoeffer, right before World War II came, was breaking out, and it was imminent, had an opportunity to go to America to teach, and he took it. And Bonhoeffer said, you know what? The church is catering. I'm, I'm in trouble. Um, I'm going to get out while the getting's good. And he goes to America. He leaves to America, and, and he has the safety of America, and he gets here, and he has no settling of his spirit. And God's saying to him, you've got to go back you got to go back. you got to go back. I've called you to go fight. I've called you to go stand. Your focus has got to be me in the midst of the storm. And he gets on a boat, and he heads back to Germany, and it will cost him his life. And he had a chance to stay here and stay free. But he said, no, 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 my focus is on serving my God. Bonhoeffer's cool. There's a greater one who came. Jesus who who left the comforts of of heaven to come and fight the ultimate tyrant of Satan. He left heaven to come and to rescue us. And man, did Jesus had focus. He says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. I've come to give life and life abundantly. I've come to set the captives free. And my face is set like flint on doing my father's work so I can rescue my own children. And I will put my life in peril. I will lay my life willingly down so I can rescue Those who are lost. So I can defeat a tyrant. Bonhoeffer really just points us to a greater one named Jesus. How could Jesus say no? I don't want to call 10,000 angels. I don't want to look out for my personal comfort. How could Jesus say no to taking care of himself even on the cross? How could Jesus empty himself of everything but love? How could he do it? Well, before time began, he said yes. He said yes to the Father. He said, Father, I'll go. I'll go and rescue the lost. I will go and shed my blood. I will go give my life. I will go become their sin. I will go and lay in that grave so that they can live. Why can he say no to other things? Because he said yes to the Father. Don't lose your focus. Don't lose your grip is the second thing. In Induendo of doing wrong. I mean, they sent an open letter. What a cheap shot. Sent an open letter basically... A bunch of lies about Nehemiah. What a cheap shot. Didn't even seal it. Didn't give him any courtesy. Wants everybody to read it. He wants to spread a false rumor saying Nehemiah wants to set himself up as king. He wants to rebel. It's a bunch of junk. It's a bunch of lies. And why is he trying to do that? Is because he wants to scare the death. I'm Scared to death. Nehemiah. He wants him to be so scared he's paralyzed. Remember those little toys? Those little figurines that had a button underneath them? And they were all, maybe it was a horse or maybe it was whatever was popular at the time or a figurine. And, and they stood up straight and you had a button underneath it and you pushed it a little bit it start to sag like this. You know, and you push it all the way and it kind of collapse and, and you let go of the button and it come right back up. You, 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 anybody know what those are? I kind of remember the name of those things, but I remember those. Anybody else remember those? You guys think maybe you got to be old to remember those things. But that's kind of what fear is. Fear wants to get, grab our buttons, the buttons of our life, and push on them to the point we go, kind of limp. Matter of fact, when Nehemiah was saying, or was fighting against this innuendo, saying it's not true, he says, Listen, you're lying. You're making this stuff up. What you want to do is you want me to be afraid because you want my hands to lose strength. You know what's really saying there? It's really interesting. You, you want them to, to become limp, to, to, to lose uh, that, that, that strength, to actually fall. I just kind of picture those, those little toys that got fear they just boom, and collapse. That's what fear is. It's like that button underneath us that weakens us and literally makes us slack. Fear has the power to weaken our hands, weaken our resolve. Fear has the power to have us stop God's work and risking all things. Do you know how powerful fear is? Do you know why? That's why God continually says through Scripture, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. Listen, Abraham, don't fear. I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. Moses, don't fear. Joshua, don't fear, go in there and and, and conquer that promised land. Don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. Why does God's word continually say, don't fear? Because God has a great work for us to live and to shine for him, to be fully alive in Christ Jesus, to change the world for Jesus. And he's saying, don't fear, because the world out there is going to say you're not good enough. The world's out there is going to say you're too full of sin. The world's out there is going to say it's not going to make a difference. The world's out there is going to remind you over and over and over again of what you are not and who you're not. It's going to want to use fear to paralyze you. So we just stay here and safe and don't really risk. Don't really live. It's the power of fear. And God says that power will weaken your hands and weaken your resolve. But I, I, I want you to I want you to move mountains. I want you to change the world. I want you to just do great things like live obedient for me. Don't fear. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Don't fear. My son has done all the hard work. Don't fear. You truly are forgiven. Don't fear. I've given you life and life abundantly. Don't fear. You are mine and nothing can snatch you out of my hands. Don't fear. The gates of hell will not prevail against you and me. Don't fear. I've overcome death. Don't fear. I sit on the throne. Don't fear. I'm king of kings. Don't fear. I'm Lord of lords. Don't fear. I am your God. And you are mine. What can you do? And what could I do if we were set free of fear? Seriously, what could we do? What could we do as an individual? What could we do as a church? If if God gave us an amazing focus on him and and we had our grip on the truth of God and who he is and what he's done for us and God strengthened that grip and we said we're going to live boldly for him, what's the power of fear in your life? We had to change insurance companies like three or four times in the last year or so. The price of uh, insurance, you know that if you're an you know, employer or whatever. And changing them all the time is difficult. And this last change, we thought we had to go back through the last 18 months uh, of medical history because things were being rejected for Katie. And, and they're saying, well, we don't, we're rejecting just follow-up things because they didn't know their whole story. And they said, what we want you to do is we want you to produce the last 18 months, every visit, every treatment, every prescription, everything you went through. And and I'm telling you what, it was like someone opened up a pit, uh, a horrible pit of of stench and stank and death and decay. And we looked in there, Katie and I looked in and said, how do we even start? How do we go back? I'm so, it's just fear, fear. God, you conquer, you reign, you're good. He provided a way out for us, and it really was a couple different forms. It was very easy, but I know the power of fear. I know it in my own life. Don't let fear lose your grip. You know the enemy. uh, The Nazis use fear as a a weapon. You know that, right? You know that they would they would go to Bonhoeffer and says, "You don't give us more information. We know that you're trying to take out Hitler, and you're working with those, and we're going to take out your family." We're, we're going to take out everything you have and try to use fear as a weapon. But we have Jesus on our side. If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you know how we fight fear? We fight fear with faith. If God is for us, who can be against us? Did you hear that? If God is for us, who can be against us? That is our focus. If God is God and God is real, he is fo- for us. Who can be against us? Without it, with against us, there is no Fear. Don't lose your grip. Or better yet, don't forget God's grip on you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Lastly, don't lose your way. They said, run, Nehemiah, run. Run into the temple. Defile yourself, defile the temple. Get out of there. You're going to be killed tonight. Run. I love what he says. A man like, uh, like me, I don't run. You would have seen me, let's take off. <laughs> How did you not do it? He just knew that God had him. I want you to see this chain. He says this in verse 13. Verse 13 is very, very interesting. He says, you're saying all this junk. It's not true. You're saying this, verse 13. For this purpose, he was hired as a false prophet, saying that he'd be killed. Why? That I should be afraid and then act in this way in sin. So the first thing is, 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 this is a fruit of fear. Become afraid. Take your eyes off of Jesus and put them on your circumstances. The first thing that fear wants to do is take your eyes off of the God who loves you and makes you and redeems you. Take them off of him and look at your circumstances around you. It's Peter taking his eyes off of Jesus and seeing the wind and sinking. And he says this, And then act on your fear and sin. What does that mean when we don't trust God and we seek security and something else? It could be financial, it could be identity, whatever that is, it's idolatry. Become afraid, act on that fear, sin, look for something to help us apart from God. What will that do? It will damage our reputation, and then we'll be taunted because of sin. Did you see that? Isn't that the way Satan works? He tempts you, he leads you astray. We act that out, and guess what he does? The tempter becomes our accuser. He says, you're such a loser. You're so broken. That's an enemy who hates you, who will lead you astray and then beat you up for going astray. That is the fruit of fear. And the gospel of Jesus Christ frees us from all of that because our God says that in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Did you hear that? There's none that our sins can't, ultimately separate us from a holy God that he loves us and he's for us and he's such a good and amazing God and that gives us the ability to live for him do you know him remember who you are the only way to beat fear the only way is if you're a child of God if you're not a child of God you should be fearful because you're not under his protection and his love And it's offered for you today. But remember who you are. If you, by God's grace, have invited Christ into your life, then God is for you and he's greater than whatever else you face. Who can stand against you? And remember what you believe. What is it you believe? What is it that Christ has done for you? I pray that God would give me these four things. Clarity, confidence, capacity, Courage. May he give him to you and to us together. Remember who you are and remember what you believe. Who's your Sambalot? Who's your Tobiai? Who's your Geshem? What is causing you to live with your hands fearful? Focus on Jesus and let us live boldly the life he has for us. Let's stand and say, let's remind ourselves, what is it that we believe? Let's remind ourselves that through the uh, reading of the Apostles' Creed. Let's read together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Continue standing.